Welcome to Nine Bob Note with Paul Isles Rush and Ken Moss. Hello and welcome to Nine Bob Note. I am Paul. And I am Ken. Hello. Hello. Yeah, Paul, you're driving us forward today with a topic, and what is it? Paul O'Grady. Oh. Yes, I thought it fitting yeah. uh, because he sadly passed away quite recently. He was a, a larger-than-life member of the LGBT plus community. And yeah, I think I feel that his contribution is worthy of a, a bit of a mention. Oh, just a bit. <laughs> now, you and I have reached a stage in life where people are snuffing it that we used to see <laughs> on television when we were kids. And every time one of them shuffles off, a little bit of childhood dies. Mm. Paul O'Grady wasn't part of our childhood, but he was part of our growing up. Yes. And I've got to admit, even though I wasn't his biggest fan, by that I mean I didn't watch everything or listen to everything he was in, that, I've got to admit, was a little bit of an unexpected sucker punch because I've always had a lot of time for his presentational style. Mm. Whether he was in character as Lily Savage or just as Paul O'Grady hosting a chat show or his radio show. And they don't build them like that anymore. Because I've said this many, many times now, the performers that have grown up and cut the teeth on the club circuit, really grafting, carting themselves around clubs for nothing, basically, mm. to forge a career and then found themselves eventually on television. You can tell. The yeah. Les Dawsons, the, you know, any number of people you saw on screen in the 70s and 80s that have been on the club circuit first. Some good, some bad, <laughs> some less so, but it does give a certain performance style that is now dying. I mean, you've got, I've got to admit, I've, you look at Anton Deck, I think they're a very good pairing, mm. actually. I think that the style that they've got emulates what we saw on screen a lot in the 80s, in yeah. that sort of... Ross Abbott sort of style or, you know, Cannon and Ball, Little and Large. So that, it's that sort of rapport. Family, but with a bit of a, a cheeky edge to it. And that was sort of Paul O'Grady on TV. And I don't know, I think it's a great loss to the entertainment world, actually. Yeah, and one of the things that has sort of struck me, because in recent weeks there's been quite a lot of stuff in the press about certain celebrities and performers and well why do they have to push their sexuality or you know or their or their gender identity down our throats why why does it have to be like this it wasn't like this when we were kids no when we were kids lily savage a prostitute <laughs> was dressed in lingerie on a bed on breakfast TV interviewing celebrities. They, and they weren't even double entendres that she was using. Barely it single entendres. Yeah, exactly. It was just... And Paul O'Grady has always, or certainly since Lily Savage retired, has been <laughs> has been an open, openly gay man and has never, you know, sort of brushed it aside, has always talked about 
that side of his life. As you say, whether he was on stage as Lily Savage, whether he was presenting a, a family Saturday night game show like Blankety Blank, or doing the, the Paul O'Grady show at Tea Time on ITV that millions of people absolutely loved. And the people who watched that show were exactly the people who were like, oh, well, yeah, I don't mind people being gay, but as long as they don't shove it down our throats. But- I, think, I, I take your point. I think there is a big difference, though, now between, I hate to say gay performers, because it's a, a very <laughs> narrow um, spectrum considering the, the rainbow of LGBT we've got out there. But what I see now from LGBTQ performers is primarily sexuality. I think that's the problem. Now, again, I could be wrong. I'm looking at it from a different perspective than you are. Mm. I, I mean, to an extent, I will say Julian Clary sort of fits into that because when he <laughs> no, when he first appeared on television, every single thing was to reinforce, I am a gay. Yes. Lily Savage, less so. It was the odd... I mean, you knew, or Paul O'Grady, rather, you knew, but it wasn't every single thing wasn't that. It was just a case of... Like John Inman. Yeah. You were watching for the spectacle, the performance, the persona. You weren't... There was the odd innuendo dropped in there, or single on top. <laughs> but it wasn't the the driving... That wasn't the whole persona. Now, a lot of them, it's shock value. And Paul O'Grady wasn't purely shock value. That's the thing that I think distinguishes performers like him, or presenters like him, or whatever label we want to tag him with that raise him above that level of purely shock value. What can I come out with? How can I promote myself? Me, me, me. I am different. Love me for my difference. And if you don't like it, you can fuck off. <laughs> yeah. But then non-gay people have done that for for years as well. Madonna. Oh, yeah. But again, that's why so many people found her vulgar, because it was, <laughs> and, and understandably so, because it was from the word go all about... Shag me. To shag yeah, to shock what, people. What's my shock people? And uh, and I can understand why that turned a lot of people off. Now, I personally, I've got... Madonna's gone through several phases in her career. <laughs> That's putting it mildly. I have got a, a real big love of her 80s music, sort mm. of from the early days to sort of the late 80s. That period of Madonna for me is, is the golden age. The rest of it, I can take a leave. Mm. But if you listen purely to the music, you can enjoy it for that. If you watch the performance and listen to the music, it's for shock value. Yeah. And I think when you, your entire performance is for shock value, I think that's when you start, you, you become that binary Marmite persona. Uh, I'm sure the same was, was true of Paul O'Grady, but I've heard less of a backlash against him than your Julian Clary's, etc. <laughs> because Julian Clary was pure smut all the time. Paul O'Grady never was. Yes, yeah. And that's kind of why, well, that's exactly why he was deemed suitable for a tea time audience. That's mm. why he they allowed Lily Savage, a again, a prostitute, <laughs> to present Blankety Blank. I, I still can't believe that. We did a, a Blankety Blank episode for uh, the Exton Moss experiment in, in tribute to Paul O'Grady. And we watched one each of... Terry Wogan, Les Dawson, and Paul O'Grady. And I dipped a toe in the water with David Williams and Bradley Walsh. Not even worth considering. Mm. Whereas Terry Wogan's always been considered the god of Blankety Blank, I have to say. 
I was bitterly disappointed. Les Dawson. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> he was entertaining, entertainment personified. He was born for that part. A very close second, Lily Savage. Yeah. Absolutely superb. Absolutely got the format of it, the way to engage with the guests, engage with the performers, bring the whole thing together into a real watchable, coherent thing. And it's it's quite a skill that to do that and not be I'm the star and listen to me and I need I cite Jonathan Ross <laughs> as the example of someone who that is my show. Mm. You've been invited on, but I'm going to interrupt you every ten seconds because this is my show, mine. Do you understand me? Mine. Yes. Yeah, and that's one of the things that stands out about Paul O'Grady is, as you say brought up through the club circuit mm. and having to do that. And we talked on a different episode about um, going into a gay bar and being Heck torn apart <laughs> by the by the drag queen uh, hostess. And that's what Lily Savage will have been. Mm. So, but to effortlessly translate that into a family TV show without all the producers and everyone sort of thinking, oh, what's she going to say next? Well, you know, what's, what's going to happen? They completely trusted Paul O'Grady to to make that transition, and I think that just sort of shows what a what a professional he was, either as Lily Savage or as himself. Mm. Took the piss out of anyone who was on the show, <laughs> any guests, whether they were celebrities or normal people, you know, the contestants on Blankety Blank. But he never crossed the line into offence. No. And I do think it's a lost art because mm. in order to be somebody now, it seems, you've got to either be uber talented, and there are very few of those, mm. and that's been the case uh, throughout the whole of history. It's just that there's a wider pool now of people <laughs> yeah. fighting to be king of the pond. Or you've got to be ultra shock value. Yeah. And unfortunately, the screens are awash with shock value. So they all look and sound the same. And the genuine talent is... I mean, I, I think it was a dreadful mistake to push him out of Radio 2. Yes. I know there's the drive. And understandable, you know, there's, there's the drive to clear the decks at Radio 2 and get younger talent on board. I can understand this. I can understand the rationale. You've got to keep refreshing with talent. Yeah. But they've cleared the decks all at once within the past 18 months of everybody that's over a certain age. And regrettably, Paul O'Grady was one of those who was pushed out. Yeah. that I mean, there are arguments. I don't understand the Paul O'Grady's. I mean, he had... The Sunday tea time slot, it's not exactly joining millions of listeners, mm. but it was something that people would tune in because they knew it was Paul O'Grady, because he had features that people enjoyed. He used to play old TV tunes, mm. TV theme tunes. And he had taken quite a bit of time off due to ill health and things like that. And but his husband also, died, didn't he? His husband died yeah. a few years ago, yeah. But he... He had all kinds of projects going on as well. He was doing TV shows. He was he was touring the country with Annie. Oh, right. Well, I didn't when, know when that. He, died. Right. he was really busy. So he did take time off. And then, so they said, well, how about what we'll do is we'll just put you on for, I think it was 13 weeks of the year. So you have your show for 13 weeks of the year and we'll put someone else on. And he didn't like that. So 
off he went. And I do, I agree. I think it was a bad decision. I don't think the other ones have been bad decisions. <laughs> uh, but that one, yeah, it, it just didn't seem to make sense. And particularly, you know, whether it's a personal choice, but the person who replaced him, it's not... It's not Radio 2, and it's also, it's not Sunday tea time on Radio 2. I just, I have this problem, it's opened up a, a whole different can of worms, uh, really, for another episode, but this obsession with youth, there's nothing to cater for people who are sort of 50 and over on any commercial station. You've got Radio 3, which is, I mean, that's that's going into almost desiccation. <laughs> uh, it's dead listeners that tune into Radio 3. I, I know I, I quite like Radio I, I tune in now and again to Radio 3 if I'm in the mood. But it is niche these days, that level of classical music. Uh, Radio 6 isn't widely available beyond, if you've not got a DAB mm. reception. Radio 2, it catered for a very a core audience that are really loyal. Yeah, the only issue is, so Radio 1 has always catered for sort of 16 to 30-year-olds. Radio 2 was where you moved on to when you got too old for Radio 1. But then the Radio 2 grew old with that group of listeners. So then the people who were then coming in who were too old for Radio 1 didn't have any... So... Radio 2 either has to cater for a, an age range that's 30 to 100, which is impossible <laughs> to do, or they should get another radio station. So Radio 2.5 or something, where the likes of Ken Bruce and Steve Wright and, you know, Paul O'Grady, if he was still with us, would have a, you know, a welcome audience, or maybe have a Radio 1.5 where the likes of Scott Mills are on, you know, when for people who have grown out of Radio 1. It's, it's a very difficult, I don't... Em- Radio <laughs> 2 old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it is, it's very difficult, but um, I, I do think that the way he was treated by Radio 2 might have... I mean, I don't want to say anyone was responsible for his early death. It's but- too... <sighs> I do know that from, I think it's his partner said that he did take being eked out of radio. He took it quite badly. Yes, yeah. Uh, it sounds like he was a bit of a workaholic. Mm. Uh, and I have <laughs> very little room to criticise. But it must, if you are used to that level of work and just throwing yourself into everything, and it was bloody good. as it? I didn't catch mm. many of his shows, but they were effortless. Yeah. And he'd get guests on and his interviews were effortless. And they just aren't like that now. There's got to be some sort of... You know, they're missing a colossal trick here by having... Like you just said, that they need a third age bracket mm. range for this. Because there isn't. It's 18 to 35. Everybody else is a bit incidental, really. Yeah. Across the board. And I just think it's all about... Right, well, we need the youth. We're not going to get the youth. We need the youth. And I've ever experienced it myself. The only pub I've ever been fired from was because <laughs> they wanted to get the youth in. The 80 people a week that were coming that were middle-aged to retired, not interested. Yeah. We need the youth in. And within two months, it had died a death because <laughs> there isn't this great army of people that are, you know, that are, well, we don't like this person because he's old. I don't, just don't, I don't, no. talent, talent particularly on the radio when you can't see the face. Because Ken Bruce, for example, I think Ken mm. Bruce is 72 at the time of recording. He's not some doddery old man, no. Ken Bruce. 
very vibrant, very musically savvy about modern stuff, not just pop. Yeah, he's not stuck in the old days. Not at all, yeah. no. no. He was brilliant. And young audiences did... Tune in. Yeah, all the time. I mean, he, he says that he he chose to leave Radio 2. He was offered quite a lot of money to take his his show onto a commercial radio station. <laughs> and that's fine because a bit of a retirement fund, why not? But yeah, it, replacing people just because they're old or older is dangerous because it also is quite patronising to young people, sort of saying, uh, oh, well, you won't like Ken Bruce anymore, he's over 70. Whereas thousands of people actually think, well, no, I love Ken Bruce. I love listening to it every morning. The likes of Steve, I mean, we veered wildly off topic. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, the likes of Steve Wright, who've been doing exactly the same show for 40 years, you sort of think, well, maybe, maybe it is time to go because mm. I don't think anybody enjoys that anymore. But yeah. But Paul O'Grady, I mean, he was only 67 when he died. Yes. Only 67. When we were kids, that was old. Yeah. People were dying in the droves. They hit 65 and death. We retired one day, dead the day after. <laughs> but he was not a slowed down man in any way. No. I mean, that was a vibrant figure, personality. And I suppose, is it better that we remember him as that vibrant figure than watch him fade away? It's always a tough one because there are figures around now who are who I've grown up with and seen as vi- and now they are doddery and old mm. and they are f- pale imitations. It seems a horrible thing to cut somebody's <laughs> life short so that you remember them as vibrant. <laughs> yes, if you could die now, if please. you could die, because I, I don't really want you to get old and decrepit. Uh, let's let's remember you as you are. Do the decent thing. <laughs> But Paul O'Grady, I, I don't know. It, it was just one of those rare occasions where I was genuinely... <gasps> yeah, it was very unexpected, wasn't it? I mean, I think it was unexpected for him. Because, mm. as I say, he was uh, he was Miss Hannigan in Annie the Musical. <laughs> I, I assume that you never watched it because it's not your kind of thing. But his For the Love of Dogs programme that he did from Battersea Dogs. Oh. Uh, it's strange to relate. No, I did not. I know that... He, I think I caught the odd snippet here and there. And it, it just he was clearly just adored dogs. Yeah, he, he absolutely loved them. Every, every episode, he'd find one that he would have to take home with him. <laughs> but I think just, you know, when he died in the town where he lived, all of the people came out to sort oh, of they brought the dogs, they brought with, the dogs him. Yeah. with him. Yeah, and his partner brought one of the dogs, one of his 13 dogs, to the funeral. He sat on his knee on the, you know, in the coach. But he just genuinely, although he clearly didn't suffer fools gladly, but he just seemed like one of those people. Going back to one of our former episodes, he he seems like the kind of person that you would really like to have had a pint with. In yes, oh. he'll be up there with Arcilla. Oh yeah, very good. They were good mates. Really, really, yeah. yes. Although apparently, I've heard that Scylla Black was, by all accounts, an absolute nightmare to everyone who she met. <laughs> really? Yeah. I don't know because someone someone said something about oh well it'll be um, it'll be nice that he's been reunited with Scylla and. And somebody said, but obviously he's made, that may be one of those showbiz rumours. Mm. But, uh, but yeah, they were very good friends. So hopefully they're having a, a sherry or two somewhere other than here. So yes, to Paul O'Grady. To Paul O'Grady. Yes, queen. Yes, queen. Yes, queen. They'll have a job out in this, won't they? Hey. <laughs> Well, that's your problem, pal, not mine. 
Nine Bob Note featured Paul Isles Rush and Ken Moss. Title music was by Mark Scheiman, and the programme was produced by Maverick Productions. For more information, please visit maverickproductionsuk.blogspot.com or find us on social media.